So it's a timeless 10, and we are diving into commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. Now, I want to tell you, <clears throat> boy, I have been looking forward to today. Ever since we started this series, my favorite thing to preach about is sex. I mean, I, I, mostly because it's such a comfortable subject to discuss in a setting like this. So, and, I'm, and I'm sure you're excited about it, too. Uh, well, of course, the truth is uh, I have dreaded discussing this commandment, commandment seven, pr- precisely because sex is anything but comfortable to discuss in a setting like this. Uh, and, and we all understand why that's true. Uh, unlike the other subjects, murder, stealing, lying, honoring your parents, having no idols, sex is an experience that is supposed to be private, intimate, just between a husband and a wife. It's, it's no one else's business, right? Right? So when someone gets up and starts meddling in people's private business, uh, it can be a, a little intimidating for both the speaker and the listener. Yet, as we read through God's Word, we see that God is never intimidated, nor does He ever hesitate to talk about sex. In fact, it's one of the most frequently discussed topics in the Bible. Sex is the topic of one of the Ten Commandments, as we're seeing today. And and as we will see, as with Commandment 6 that we talked about last week, Jesus spends some time elaborating on commandment number 7 in his, what we call the Sermon on the Mount that we read in Matthew chapter 5. And given the way that sex is approached in our culture today, folks, we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. We, We need to hear what Jesus said about God's design for sex. Because if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, he wants us to get this right. So let's all be awkward together, okay? Uh, As I speak and as you listen, as we discuss commandment number seven. Here it is, Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Now, first, let's consider exactly what adultery is. What is it that we're not shall not commit. What is that? Adultery. Well, basically, adultery is having a sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse, who is not your husband or wife. Now, now whether you're single or married, if you have a sexual relationship with someone that you are not married to, you have broken commandment number seven. You know, God designed sex, It was his invention. Uh, He designed our bodies. He designed the parts of our bodies that are involved in sex. He designed our minds, men's and women's minds. He designed men to be attracted to a woman's body. He designed women to be attracted to a man who likes to cuddle. God designed sex to be enjoyed. Uh, it, It was not just some mechanical thing for procreation, to make babies. All you have to do to understand that is go and read the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon. 
It's a story about a married couple, and it is very clear as you read this book in the Bible that sex was meant to be enjoyed. God's design for sex was simple. It was a blessing given uh, to us that was meant to be enjoyed, but only between a husband and a wife. Any sexual practice outside of the marital relationship was against God's design. Now, while that seems like a foreign concept today, uh, if you were to go back in time 60 or 70 years, uh, I I was amazed at how far you have to go back now. (laughs) You know, you used to say, if you go back 20 or 30 years, but now you got to go back 60 or 70 years to get to where I'm talking about. Uh, If you go back 60 or 70 years, you would find a very different world when it comes to sex and sexual sexual sin, the way we look at it. 70 years ago, back in the 50s, for those of you who, who are trying to figure out how far back that is, most people agreed with God's design for sex. Almost every, even people that weren't following it, they all agreed with God's design for sex. Most people agreed that sex was to be enjoyed, but only between a husband and a wife. Now, that understanding of sex is clearly seen, if we, even, even by Hollywood, it was clearly seen 70 years ago. You know, a good example of this is if you just take a look at the sleeping arrangements uh, for TV and movie couples 70 years ago, especially TV couples. Remember the old I Love Lucy show uh, back in the 50s? Ricky and Lucy Ricardo were the characters on that show, uh, were a real-life married couple. I mean, they were really married to each other. They were Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz uh, uh, playing the role of Ricky and Lucy Ricardo on their TV show. Yet because of the way most Americans looked at sex in their show, this real-life married couple slept in separate beds (laughs) with a, a nightstand between the beds. Perhaps because some people may not realize that they were an actual married couple, And actors who were not actually married, everyone believed, should not be in the same bed. Even if you're just acting, everybody believed that. In the early 60s, it was pretty much the same. Remember the Dick Van Dyke show? Rob and Laura Petrie, who were played by Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore, they were not a real-life couple. Uh, And they slept in separate beds. We were talking about some folks among us who are expecting babies, and I was just thinking about that episode with Dick Van Dyke is getting ready to go to the hospital to take, uh, you know, Laura to the the hospital when the baby comes. But they're still sleeping in separate beds. (laughs) Americans did not want to see unmarried couples in the same bed, even if they're just acting. It was considered wrong. It was considered sinful. It it would have been a scandal for them to be in the same bed and not married in the 1950s and the early 60s. But things began to change in the 1970s. Little by little, America's minds were being changed when it came to sex. 
on the Brady Bunch, for example. That was a good wholesome show, uh, uh, but we see that Mike and Carol Brady, the mom and dad on that show, uh, actors who were portraying to be a married couple, they became one of the first TV, TV couples to be shown sharing the same bed. And suddenly, unmarried people being in the same bed was not a problem any longer. And it wasn't long before actors portraying unmarried couples were freely depicted in the same bed. And this simple change, just in sleeping arrangements, in entertainment, was a sign of how our culture, little by little, was moving farther and farther away from God's design for sex. Today, in American culture, um, restricting sex to marriage is viewed as old-fashioned. It's viewed as ridiculous to even suggest. It's, it's unnatural to, to, to call for that. That was ancient history. Nobody thinks that anymore. In fact, it's a joke to even suggest such a thing. Yet with God, nothing about sex has changed. His design for sex is still the same as it always was, a blessing to be enjoyed, but only between a husband and a wife. That's the basic understanding of the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Now, the problem, even among many Christians, is that our culture has molded us into freely accepting accepting this distortion of God's design. How many of us today can watch a TV show depicting an unmarried couple involved in a sexual relationship, and it never crosses our minds that what they're doing is against God's design? We don't even think about it. Even when we understand, and even when we believe in God's design, seeing God's design distorted when we're watching a TV show or a movie, doesn't even phase us anymore. While it might have been a scandal in the 1950s, it certainly is not a scandal today. And even many unmarried Christian couples have bought into our culture's distortion of God's design and freely lived together, sort of reducing the seventh commandment to more of a suggestion or a recommendation, then it, uh, it is a command from God. I know that that's what the Bible says, but boy, we need to do this for financial reasons. Or uh, we need to do this so we can make sure that we're right for each other before we make it permanent. So bottom line for commandment number seven, and, and please understand, this is God, not me. And so, so if you've got, you got a problem with it, Take it up with God. This is God, not me. This is God, not some old-fashioned guy that's living back in the 50s and just hadn't gotten with the times. God's design for sex is that it should only be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. Anything else, anything else is considered the sin of adultery. Now, as you're listening today, maybe you are actively breaking commandment number seven in your life right now. Uh, And if you are, and if you are a follower of Jesus, 
understand God considers that a sinful lifestyle. Even though it's against everything that our culture teaches, it's a sinful lifestyle. And we need to ask God uh, to, you, you need to ask God to, to help you change that lifestyle into something that falls into his design. It, if finances are the reason, and, and I've heard many, many couples say, well, it's, you know, we, we can't afford to live in two separate places. And if finances are the reason that you're living together, I would, I would beg you to trust God. Trust God and know that if you do the right thing, if you do the right thing, God will take care of your needs. You won't go hungry. Your rent will be paid. If you determine, I'm going to do it right, God will take care of you. Don't let finances keep you in this circumstance. Sit down with your boyfriend or girlfriend and agree, you know, we need to do things the right way. We need to do things God's way. Let's figure out a way that we can live in two separate places until we're ready to be married. Remember commandment number one we talked about a few weeks ago. Go back and listen to it if you missed it. God needs to be number one in our lives, even before all other relationships. So decide to make a change and enjoy sex the way God designed it, and that might mean waiting until you're married. Others who are listening today might be thinking, well, as we did with commandment six, uh, do not murder last week. Well, I'm not cheating on my spouse. Um, I never have. I never will. So I'm good, right? I'm good. Good on number seven, right? <laughs> or maybe it's, yeah, you know, when I was younger, uh, I did indulge in premarital sex uh, on occasion. And I realize now that that was wrong and I shouldn't have done that. Uh, that was in the past. God has forgiven me and he has and he has. Uh, so let's just move on. Can we please move on? To commandment number eight, please. Well, we will, but next week. <laughs> Before we do, let's take a look at what Jesus said about commandment number seven. Because, as with commandment six, there is a progression that leads to adultery. And while we may never have committed the act of adultery, uh, or, or maybe the, we have, but it, it was way in the past, and we put that behind us, most of us, if not all of us, have been guilty of the progression that leads to it. And it is the progression to adultery that Jesus addresses in Matthew 5, as he discusses commandment number 7. Let's read Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, and this is Jesus speaking, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I think we could just switch that around too. Anyone, any woman who looks at a man lustfully has already committed adultery with him in her heart as well. Okay, let's all jump into this being uncomfortable boat together and see where Jesus takes us this morning. Make the necessary changes that we need to make in our lives because all of us may need to make some changes here. Changes in our lives, changes in our thoughts, our thought habits, 
And then we can just move on with God's grace. Because just like any other sin that any of us have committed in our life, this sin is no different. And it, it, God is waiting for us to just come and repent and we move on with God's grace. As with murder, Jesus highlights the progression that leads to adultery. And like murder, uh, the progression to adultery is just as sinful as the act of ad adultery, Jesus tells us. In fact, Jesus tells us that the progression to adultery is pretty much the same thing as adultery. So unless you're a, a mentally ill person, just some crazy person, you don't wake up one day and think, you know what, I'm going to commit adultery with someone at work today. You know, without any thought about it before until the, that morning. No, that's not the way it works. We know that. No, the act of adultery is always preceded by other actions that eventually lead to the act of adultery. So, and Jesus tells us what they are in verse 28. Adultery is always preceded by lust. And lust is always preceded by a look. A look. Now let's talk about lust for a minute. Christian author and motivational speaker John Maxwell defined lust this way. Lust is a thought that I entertain, cherish, or hold on to, that if I did what I was thinking, it would clearly be sin. You know, sexual thoughts that we have about someone of the opposite sex that we are not married to, it's okay to lust after your spouse, but if we're having a sexual thought about someone that we are not married to, that is lust. Now, if you're 60 or older, you probably remember Jimmy Carter's famous admission in the 1976 interview with Playboy magazine uh, when a reporter uh, asked him, and he told a reporter, he said, you know, I've looked at a lot of women with lust and, had com and have committed adultery in my heart many times. And he went on to be elected president that year. Um, Jimmy Carter admitted he's guilty of, of that sin. You know, in, in the late 70s, um, when, when Jimmy Carter said, in, said those things, there were mixed reactions to that, to that. Some rolled their eyes, and they lied, and they said, well, I never. <laughs> and others thought, cool, me too, Mr. President, me too, me too. Lust is a sin, but it is always preceded by a look, a look. You know, it, it is difficult to lust if you don't first look. And again, as with anger that we talked about last week, looking is only sinful if we continue to look. The tense of the Greek word here for look is to continue, to stay in the process of looking. It's an ongoing thing. You know, God designed us as humans to appreciate beauty. God designed women to be attracted to handsome men. God designed men to be attracted to beautiful women. Uh, and as we go through our day, as an attractive man or woman crosses our line of vision, there's nothing wrong with thinking, wow, that's an attractive man. That's an attractive woman. 
There's nothing wrong with having that thought. The problem comes is when we take that look to the next step. Rather than moving on to something else, okay, let's, let's divert our attention somewhere else, never, never allowing that person to go farther in our mind, we stay a little longer in that look. Boy, that person is really attractive. I, I think I'll linger here a little longer and enjoy his or her beauty a little longer. And what happens when we do that, when we linger in that look? That's going to lead to lust, to thoughts that we should not have about that person that we are not married to. Some example in God, examples of God's Word demonstrate what Jesus is talking about. Uh, Genesis 39, verse 7, we read the story of Joseph and his encounter with Potiphar's wife. Joseph was, was working with, in, in the house of Potiphar as a servant for Potiphar. Uh, and his wife, her name was Potiphar's wife, um, she had, she, it says that she took notice, she was looking, she took notice that Joseph was well-built and handsome and sought to commit adultery with him. Her look continued and continued until it became lust. From his rooftop balcony, King David saw Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop balcony. And he saw that she was very beautiful. And he sent for her. Adultery begins when we continue to look. That leads to lust. And even if we never go any farther than that, Jesus tells us that it's the same as the actual act. We live in a culture where sex is king. Every, everything is about sex, from, from the advertisements we see on TV or along the road or in magazines to the entertainment that we watch to the clothing that we wear to the sports that we watch. The exploitation of sex is everywhere now we could all get away from it just move to the mountains find a log cabin somewhere where there's no electricity and no wi-fi and no tv and maybe we could avoid it if we did that but obviously we can't do that can we we've got to live in this world god calls us to reach out and save the lost and and where do the lost live they live in this world <laughs> We've got to live here, and we can't leave. We cannot abandon the lost. So what do we do to keep from looking and lusting in this world that we live in? Jesus gives us some great advice. Let's read it, verse 28 through 30, 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. <laughs> Wait, what? Wh what? Jesus, what are you talking about here? Is Jesus serious? 
Or, or is he just loony? Gouge out your eye, cut off your hand? Come on, Jesus. <laughs> no, Jesus is not crazy, nor is he being literal here. Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation. <laughs> no. Jesus was a master of using what's called a hyperbole. It's a hyperbole. A hyperbole is an exaggeration for emphasis. You know, we, you and I use hyperbole sometimes. Uh, we, we might say, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Now, you know that's not true. No, no one can eat a horse, not a whole horse in one setting. And you're never so hungry that you could actually eat a whole horse. And so obviously you're not being literal. You're not being Amelia Bedelia here. No, we are simply using an exaggerated example to express that, man, I am really hungry. And that's what Jesus is doing here with his example you know, if we truly want to rid our lives of the sin of adultery, including the progressions that lead to it, looking and lusting, then we've got to do whatever it takes to remove those temptations that lead to those sins. You know, a great practice that, that many Christian counselors recommend is as you go through your day, if you have a problem looking, as you go through your day, develop the practice that's called bouncing off. Bouncing off. When an attractive man or an attractive woman crosses your vision, bounce off of it. Bounce off of it. Rather than lingering and looking a little longer, even for a second, even for a second, immediately, literally, look away. Like a rubber ball bouncing off a wall. Look away. Whether you're at the grocery store, you're riding through the neighborhood, you're at your workplace, develop the habit of bouncing off. Bouncing off of that attractive person that crosses your vision. Think about what needs to be eliminated in your life that tempts you to look. And there are so many things. But what, what is the, the thing that mostly needs to be eliminated? You need to stop watching certain TV programs that you know are going to have tempting things to look at uh, or movies that might tempt our minds. And you just decide, I can't watch that anymore. I can't watch that anymore. As you view things on television, think about uh, how they affect you. Um, the cheerleaders during football games, the, the commercials that, that come on uh, between uh, the game. Um, think about how they affect you. Th also, think about how the images might affect your children. You know, think, think back to when you were a kid and how those kind of images affected you. And you know, all you have to do is multiply that by about a thousand today to see what uh, sexual images your kids face every day. And do you, do you need to add to that things that you're watching on television or in movies? Be the example for them, for your own good, but also for them as well. Change the channel during commercials, if you know. Uh, I, I, can, I can just go ahead and tell you this. Do not watch the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Just decide, I'm not going to watch it because it's going to make me look or tempt me to. 
if being careful with what you look at is not a big deal for you, it won't be a big deal for your children. Is the internet a problem? It is for many men, and increasingly uh, women as well today. What internet practices do you need to change? You, you know whether or not it's a problem for you. Like, like where you are when you're watching it. Are you by yourself? Is that where the problem is? Do you need to make sure that your spouse or someone is in the room with you while you're on the internet? Do you just need to take a break from the internet for a while? Maybe drastically to the point to just eliminate it for a while. You know whether that's a problem or not. Do you need a trusted accountability partner, someone you can trust and can confide in, that can help you stay true to your commitment to eliminate internet pornography from your life? It is truly a plague on our culture today that affect especially men, old and young. And as Christians as much as non-Christians. Looking and lusting is a temptation that all of us face to one degree or another in our life. And Jesus is very clear. This is so important that we need to do whatever it takes to eliminate those temptations from our lives. Our culture is not going to take it seriously. They're going to laugh at us. But as a follower of Jesus, we must take it seriously because Jesus sure did. We must do as Jesus said and take the necessary steps to keep adultery out of our lives. You know, God is not against sex. No, God is pro-sex. <laughs> he created it. It's his invention. He designed it for our enjoyment in marriage. He just wants us to commit ourselves to only enjoy it the way he designed it. So, to do that, let's, let's all ask ourselves a couple of questions. What is God telling me to remove from my life? You know what that is. You know where the temptations come from. You know what needs to be removed. What changes do I need to make to keep from looking and lusting? Let's answer those two questions, and then don't just answer them, but develop a plan of action. It's one thing to say, yep, that's the problem. It's another thing to say, this is what I'm going to do to eliminate that problem. Develop a plan of action, start the plan, and then, then we can move on to commandment number eight. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this uncomfortable topic, uh, but uh, it is truly so important, especially in our culture today, Lord, because, wow, it's a plague. It is truly, we talk about the pandemic as a plague, but, but this has been a plague of much longer than that, and it affects so many people, even many, many Christians, um, because it's just so much a part of our culture. And, and help us, Lord, to just be counterculture, uh, to understand what you want and what your design is, and uh, to take the steps necessary 
to make sure that, that we don't commit that sin. And so, so be with us, Lord, as we think about the things in our lives. Help us to identify the things that we need to eliminate. Help us to identify the steps we need to take to keep from looking and lusting. And Lord, with your strength and the Holy Spirit that is within us, once we decide that, uh, we, we can do it. We can be more pure in, in our sexual lives. And so, Father, I just pray you'll, you'll bless each one of us as we, as we look at where we are uh, with this issue in commandment number seven. Thank you, Father. Father, help us to also know that your son uh, uh, and his death covers every sin, all sins, and certainly including this sin. And so if we've, if we've indulged in the past, help us to know that uh, all we've got to do is ask for your forgiveness, and it's done, and it's behind us, and then help us to, to with your grace, to move on uh, to do things better. And so I thank you, Father, for your forgiveness, for your grace, um, and uh, Lord, help us in our marriages to make them sacred, uh, to keep all of our sexual energy within it. And so we, we thank you for this wonderful gift you've given us, and help us to enjoy it the way you designed. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.